all the goals are in front of us, blah, blah, blah. Number three, beat Ohio State, blah, blah, blah. Sparty got stopped by the spoiler makers. You're listening to Can't Read, Can't Write. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Can't Read, Can't Write, the podcast that proves Spartans can talk. I'm Mike Jones, joined, as always, by Bend and Don't Break, my co-hosts, Alex Plum and Kevin Greck. Greckers, how you doing, buddy? Oh, dude, this week we bent and broke, baby. You're Bend. Don't Broke. Alex Plum, how are you doing? I'm good. I just got a, apparently I just got a, a promotion. Everyone heard me refer to as a co-host this week. So I, I'm oh, going to be looking it. for that. Read Going to be looking for that on my, uh, be, putting that on my business cards. be putting that on my business cards as of tomorrow can we, morning. So Greg, Greg, sidebar, sidebar real quick. Uh, we, can we, can we cut that? Yeah. Well, we it's got to be, he already heard it. We got to give him the, like, uh, we got to give him the forget me now. Um, yeah, or we right. got to hit him with that's the right. with, with the with the rag over his mouth. Hey, after Saturday's game, this is the perfect time to do it. See if you can like wipe out a full week. Yeah, be <laughs> go all the way back forty eight yeah, hours. That'd be great. Uh, thank you, of course, everyone for listening. If we could ask a small favor, please share the pod with Spartans in your life. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. And of course, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Spartan underscore Pod. Plum, redeem yourself from a performance people will hear about later on. Tell the people the structure of the show. (laughs) Oh, we always start behind the green wall where football always leads. This is our chance to dive into the things that matter and being a Spartan, which is Michigan State football and Michigan State basketball. We have uh, some important information to review with everybody after a very disappointing loss in West Lafayette, Indiana last week. We'll talk about the ramifications and the implications of this loss on the season and what might be coming up. Uh, got some uh, some news uh, to cover with basketball. In fact, we might have a special guest um, who's going to be uh, giving us some of the um, the real information that we deserve in our lives. Um, typically, we head off Grand River next uh, to talk about anything important in sports across the connection, across the country, and even across the world. We will preview football against Maryland. Four o'clock on Fox. MSU's got the line, but well, that doesn't necessarily mean anything. And uh, we will preview as well a lovely game against Kansas Tuesday evening. Then finally, we'll take your Twitter questions, which is we know why most of you listen to this pod in the first place. Uh, well, so gentlemen, I want to start here. You'll notice in the outline uh, I, I sent you, there's um, a link for the box score. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I invite you to click on that link. And the reason I invite you to do that is because I'm just noticing here. This is the high point. This is the high point for an otherwise bummer game. Uh, Along the banner, the top banner, second to top banner, where it says football, it says team, coaches, K9 for Heisman. And I just, I had to call out that, uh, that wonderful, wonderful addition to the MSU football website. Before we talk about what was otherwise a depressing game, um, I maybe mean, we should start with Ken Walker. I was just going to ask because I believe I texted you both in one of my lower moments, one of my not unsurprising <laughs> off hinged uh, hot takes. Yeah, if we that- really wanted to uh, uh, to capitalize on the podcast, we would just sell access to our uh, to group our chat, chat for sure, games. for sure, or just screenshot Good my texts and Lord. tweet them out. That I, unemployable. I maintain that if we ever had a paid podcast, it would really just be 
having Alex Plum answer for the things that he said earlier. <laughs> oh my God. Especially during, especially <laughs> during the Saturday in the, in the low hours. Uh, but I, I don't know. This was not a good look for Ken Walker. He did not impress. What are you talking about? No, he did not impress. He did not impress. That third quarter was not Heisman material. And you get one game. Maybe you get one quarter. I don't know how much you get, but this is, this is the big leagues. This is, this is the all or nothing. This is, this is, you don't, this is the Heisman. You don't get a game like that. I don't know. Maybe you get one. Do you get one? I hope you get one. But I guess if, if rushing for 146 in the touchdown and averaging 6.3 yards per carry is is not good, then I don't know what good is. I don't know. He's a difference maker, and he did not make a difference for us in this game. Uh, I mean, I think you have to evaluate his contribution, which is what sets him apart. You know, this... Michigan State doesn't have to win all of its games for this guy to become a Heisman winner, but there has to be something exceptional here. And I don't know. Do you hang this partly? I mean, we're going to talk about the defense and their absolute culpability in this loss, but there was too often you saw Kenneth Walker just not. I mean, those three and outs, my God, you want him back. And he was not contributing. So uh, to put things in perspective, uh, Kenneth Walker had eight fewer rushing attempts than all of uh, Purdue's running backs. And in those 23 attempts, which was eight fewer, again, he he gained twice as many yards (laughs) and had just as many touchdowns. So I mean- And Purdue put up 40 points. But we, well, we're going to get to that in a moment. I'm just saying that- Kenneth Walker was not the problem, no. but he didn't exactly win the game for the Spartans. So I, I think everyone listening to this is just going to want to talk about the defense, right? Yeah. No. Well, let's, can we, can we at least start with, because I, if we're going to start talking about Ken Walker, then, then that's a, we can talk about both the defense and the offense, because I think the story of this game more than anything else was injuries. Uh, we found out uh, Jarrett Horst, uh left tackle. Not playing. Yeah. That, we were trying that, to keep this under two hours. We can't list everyone that's apparently injured on this team. Good well, Lord. It's, it's the first time. It's like I mean, a thousand people that are injured. Our backup kicker has a has a club on his arm. It's, I mean, and you know, it. the club, I was remarking this to, to someone yesterday that um, it, it is interesting to me. It is a lack of depth that you have someone in your back seven on defense. And you would rather have that person play with a club than someone who can catch the ball. Like that tells me something about your lack of depth. Hmm. Um, but like you, you have someone in the secondary and they can't catch that. That is, that is crazy to me. Um, so yeah, uh, apparently I guess third of the defenses is banged up. Um, you know, the offensive line encounters its first serious injury, I think is fair to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the offense, I, I think, was meh for most of the game. I, I don't I know that's a, a technical term. Yeah, but yeah, measurable, measurable. The yeah, meh quotient is what it's the, known in mathematics. The advanced uh, so, I mean, we saw some we saw some interesting stuff uh, out of the team and then some not so interesting stuff. So. Uh, but yeah, everyone wants to talk about the defense. Uh, uh, holy Purdue put up 600 yards. Yes. Yes, they did. Oh, yes. That's, that's fun. That's fun. 
No, Sorry. no, it was not fun. It was, in fact, very unfun. Um, uh, so we, people that have watched all of the MSU football on display this year are not surprised that the defensive secondary is the limiting factor in this game. Yes. The concern is that in the last two games, MSU took pedestrian quarterbacks and made them look world beating. So my concern for this yep. team is the secrets out entirely. Yep. Yep. Even the dumbest coaches now can see why would you ever rush the ball on this team? Why would you even attempt it? Um, well, in fairness, they tried 31 times. So there's but that. That was 31 mistakes is what I'm, I'm saying. I mean, actually, if you take out, it's a little bit less than that if you take out the sacks. <laughs> yeah. But, the- but like, that's not, that's not actually a good argument because Purdue went, I don't know, 60-40. You can't okay. not run the ball. Sure you can. Sure, yeah, watch, sure you watch, can. Watch Maryland. That's the well, whole preview yes, of the Maryland that, game. Yes. That's the those, entire it's, preview. It's those slant runs. We we have no coverage anywhere from, I don't know, five to ten yards away from the line of scrimmage. If, if they just slant run anywhere in there, that is a completion 98% of the time. And it's a gain of three or four yards every single time. I, I don't know why every team doesn't just do that to us. I, and then And then run the ball every ninth time. I mean, it truly is baffling how bad we are at this. And Hazleton has zero strategy. Okay. 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 All right. Go ahead. Right. So, well, so first of all, propose, propose an alternative strategy. Give me a meaningful proposal on what you would do differently on defense. And I say that not just on Hazleton, but for the other former defensive coordinators that are also on staff, including the one who's a head coach, who's won a natty. So I like, it is, and and this complaint in particular is not different than the complaint that was made about Mark D'Antonio teams and teams dinking and dunking down the field, passing into the flat, and the the linebackers of the D'Antonio teams not being able to have the horizontal speed to cover those routes. Well, there aren't and, very many linebackers that are that are great at covering those types of which routes. is why we play a four two five so that we have people who have that athleticism. And I think it's also fair to say that we have talked about on our run to eight and O on that pathway that we talked about the insane number of throws that quarterbacks were having to make to just keep teams in competition and that. It is a it is a a game of numbers in that most college quarterbacks will screw up. Here's a couple of things that I'll submit. One, you ask the question, propose a better strategy. Here's a strategy. Here's a strategy that I might propose. Don't run off the entire defensive secondary that Mark D'Antonio handed you. They the number of transfers out of that defensive secondary, these were guys that were recruited by Mark D'Antonio and Harlan Barnett to some degree, some of them, they got run off the team to bring in guys like Ronald Williams, who's the the fourth option now, the fifth option, playing behind. He's He's also never done anything at all this year, really. So I, I think that this is 
either by scheme or by decisions made about the personnel on the field. This is on the coaching, I think. Uh, the, the personnel right now is a reflection of the coaching. It's year two. Um, big changes were made in this personnel group. We talked about these departures as they were happening on the podcast. And the difference, this is the second part, is that earlier in the season, the defensive line was messing up quarterbacks. King from Miami out for the year. You know, there were several others. Um, the defensive line was getting home earlier in the year, but now the attrition, the the health attrition that we first discussed is is catching up to this team. And it's it's not something that's gonna change, is my chief concern. I wanna so and you asked for this and I'm not smart enough to have a solution for this. I'll also tell you that I don't get paid the millions of dollars a year it you earn to, to have that job. So it's really not my responsibility. I think anybody that has eyes that watch that game can acknowledge that what they were trying to do wasn't working, that there were not changes that were working. They, they, they weren't attempting to make changes. You didn't see at least I couldn't see it. Maybe again, I, it's because I have this lack of sophistication. But let's just talk about let's just talk about numbers briefly, okay? Because Purdue went seven for seven in terms of red zone scoring for each chance they were in the red zone, a hundred percent. This is all the evidence that you need to know that the defense bent and fully was broken. That's it. That's the headline. And as aggressive or as upsetting as that may be, this is it. We haven't had that statistic all season. And in fact, and, and by the way, I think it is successful if you hold them to a field goal. I think that that for me is Ben don't break defense. But but they were, I'll, I think it was all but one. They scored a touchdown each time they were in the red zone. Or all but two? Uh, two, I think. So least. then five for seven. So, you know, my point here, by the way, 11 of 18 on third down conversions. 11 of 18, we stopped seven. Uh, we were barely above 50% and half of that number. So, so that's not acceptable. And, and, and Tucker in his post game comments absolutely pointed to that. Actually let Thorne off the hook. Didn't say Thorne's name at all, which I think is a travesty. I know we're not really focusing on offense, but Thorne was garbage in this game, but defensively execution, staying on the field, not getting those guys off the field because we couldn't stop a third down. You know, that is, Against Purdue, oh my God! And I know who they are, and blah 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 blah. But it, it's a two and five program this year. That's not a that does not brook any confidence. No, 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 no. So I know, good for them. They executed. They played well. They did what they were supposed to do. Um, but they made us look like we didn't have a fucking clue. MSU is now officially last in the nation in passing yards allowed. 130 out of 130 teams. Some would say we're winning. (laughs) It's just that the number three team in the country can't be last in the nation in a category. Um, Really? You can't be last in the nation in any category. So good God. Not, not, I mean, uh, so we're not going to be three much longer and we shouldn't ever have been frankly, but we're, we're was in agreement on that, but, but we're, but we are, that is, that is, that's unacceptable. And frankly, I want urgency out of that. And I didn't see urgency. Now I didn't hear, I've not seen any 
clip or film of Hazleton being interviewed post-game Indiana, or uh, uh, Purdue. And he may have been, and I may have missed it. But I saw zero urgency from Xavier Henderson. And that's a little bit of a concern to me because I listened to his remarks. And again, albeit they were immediately after the game. You know, the guy just got out of the shower and you know put on his sweats and was ready to head back to the, the bus. But a, a, a lot of, I mean, I love their message discipline. Love the message discipline around giving credit where credit was due. And absolutely Purdue deserved the credit. Well done them. But no urgency on, I mean, no answers. And, and Tucker had no answers either. Well, we got to look at the tape. We got to look at the tape on, on the, where, where is the secondary? Where, who and where is the secondary? Every opportunity that we had in the secondary was because a Purdue receiver dropped the ball. Usually un-fucking contested. So you, 130 of 130. I didn't know that, Greg. That's even more angering to me right now. But for a guy that Xavier Henderson is the team's captain, nine out of nine appearances at the toss of the coin. And, And I'm not getting, and I think this team deserves urgency because that, that statistic alone is beneath us. The other thing, as long as we're getting riled up, that really bothered me is dumb penalties in this game. And I can take one or two penalties of aggression a game. I get that. Um, that's something that I've been primed to understand. But when your special teams unit has another dumb I don't know, illegal procedure penalty mm-hmm. that costs you a perfect yep. punt. Yep. And it and the next punt results in Purdue getting the ball at the 50-yard line. It's an effective 48-yard penalty. That is unacceptable. You cannot win games on the road against a solid team. And they are a solid team. I mean, we make fun of the Big Ten West. I'm not saying that this should be a Big Ten championship winning Purdue team, but they're a solid team on the road in conference. You can't do that kind of dumb stuff. You just can't. You can't gift them an entire touchdown, basically, that I think when they went up 14 points, um, there were what? There, there were two personal fouls. There was the unnecessary roughness. There was the targeting. We can talk regardless. You can't give up that kind of stuff. Yeah, the targeting was rough. Also, Simeon Barrow being out has something to do with getting home to the quarterback. Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he was yeah. there for most of the game. I mean, he missed a quarter. Right, quarter and a half. No, maybe? he he was early in early in the second. I mean, Aiden O'Connell was sacked twice in the game. I don't have the pressure numbers in front of me, but he was sacked more often than Peyton Thorne was. Yeah. Granted, he uh, they had a number more possessions than we did, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Uh, anything else you guys want to say about the defense? Uh, MSU, if we already talked about passing defense, MSU is 113th out of 130 in total defense. So that rush defense is making up for a little bit, but not that much. Um, do you want to talk about the positives, Michael? I, I, this is a surprise because in our, in our conversation after the game, I was much more positive than you were. And now, and now it seems the shoe is on the other foot. What, what, What do you want to talk about? Uh, what do you want to discuss? 
Well, what's your takeaway? 45th in scoring defense, by the way. So, you know, that's still good. Um, well, Cal Halliday was useless today. He was another guy with a cast on his hand. This is a guy that doesn't wear gloves, by the way. That was that was how you could tell. That was something wrong. What is going... How do you... How, what? How? Oh, my God. It's, it's a virtue, Alex. It's a virtue. He's, a, he's an old school football player. <laughs> Can we acknowledge, though, that if this, this was a team four years ago, the entire team would be hurt at this point in time? That's fair. That, that's 100% fair. Yep. Um, uh, so, I mean, uh, we can just sort of move on to some big picture things, which is, you know, no one wants to hear it. You can tell by the the sort of frustration and anger in both of your voices, but the reality is that the playoffs are still in the picture for this Michigan State team. Now, it, it, whatever, like I, I, I'm I'm well on record of saying that didn't think that that was a thing that was ever going to be uttered this year, mm-hmm. and if we don't hit that goal, I'm not going to go nuclear on Mel Tucker and his staff, if we don't make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, like let's all level set here, but cause he got us to eight. No, but and it's, it's fine to be frustrated. Um, but that is still in front of us. The Purdue loss in many ways does not matter. And I, I think the interesting question that we should all keep our eyes on is how does all of the mantra, the talking points, the the being on script, the the culture changes that we've applauded this year, how much does that translate over to a loss? How is this team able to rebound and approach Maryland? And, you know, the the 24-hour rule, as they talk about, applies just as equally to losses as wins. You know, and so you, you look to see, I think, How's the team act on Monday? Or I'm sorry, next Saturday. For a, another nationally televised 4 p.m. game. 4 p.m. on Fox. Keep chopping, guys. Keep chopping. Chop, 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 chop. So I'm, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that the playoffs are not in, in the picture. Well, they uh, they conceptually are. Sure. In the same way that at the beginning of the season, even Eastern Michigan before it plays a game has the playoffs in the picture. All right, dude. Stop! Like you're 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 being ridiculous. That winning out still gets you there. Sure. It, and so in the that same was same way but, that Eastern Michigan winning out. Well, in, in no, fairness, see, that's why it's a it doesn't comment. It does right. it for them. So, so I'll, I'll choose someone else. I'll choose uh, I'll choose uh, you know Vanderbilt. No. Okay. All right. I'm just. You're upset with me. I'm upset that somehow, somehow I've been judoed and now you're going to come off as the voice of reason on this podcast. That's what I'm upset about now. I, I am, uh, I am frustrated with a lot of execution that happened during the game. Uh, you mean lack of, there was no execution. Nobody executed on a single thing. The entire game. Are we, are we backdooring into a, a Brian Kelly joke right now? Yeah. <laughs> I, I also do not know how you can say that your running back averaged 6.3 yards per carry and he didn't execute, but fine. Um, the, I, you know, and it's, it, Greg, you, you raised an interesting point about, you know, quote unquote, running people off. Um, that's, I hadn't thought about that. 
I mean, they did all go to group of five schools. So, you know, maybe you'd have better depth. You'd have better depth. Mm-hmm. That's a thing, I guess. But, you know, knowing that those those guys all transferred down to group of five schools and were replaced by people who weren't group of five school players, you know, did they want to start? Like, would they have stayed? Were they run off? Would they have stayed? By all accounts, like Julian Barnett is someone that the staff wanted to stay. Right. He didn't want to play the nickel, though. So, like, I, I mean, I don't know. I, I, I just, I have a, I, you guys want to jump on the coaches. That's fine. Like, I know everyone wants to jump on the coaches. And, and it is, it is literally their job. They're paid to do that. I, but it's, it seems to me that this team didn't execute and, is that if you want to say Mel Tucker didn't have them ready, that's fine. I, like I, I would agree with that critique because they didn't, they didn't execute. So uh, on the subject of Kenneth Walker, I don't think the numbers hurt him. Um, I think the numbers are actually still on pace with um, previous. Yeah. Previous Heisman winning running backs. The issue is you can't, he, if we, if MSU loses two games, he's out. It's just not going to happen. And the other problem (laughs) is he's up against one of the guys he's up against is going to hang about a billion yards on this defense um, in CJ Stroud and Ohio state in a couple of weeks. So the team is going to make, there's going to be two Heisman hopefuls on the field that day. And our defense is going to make one of them look really good. So we'll see how Ken does against Ohio state. Yeah. I I mean, I think that's it. I think the bigger thing for me is I just hope that he's invited to New York. Yeah. That's, I'm not, you know, obviously I'd love him to win it, but I'm not, it's not full disrespect season. If he doesn't, uh, it's a hard, hard award to win, to win for, uh, for running back. So, uh, plum, you want to say anything else about the game before we move on to whatever it is that we're going to move on to? I hope Hazleton is able to coach, be a coach, do your job, do it. Fuck. Okay. So really quick, Indiana preview. We'll just we'll just put Maryland? this here. Yeah, Maryland preview. Pardon me. Uh the line is MSU by 13 by 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 13.5. And uh Maryland is only five and three right now, two and three in the Big Ten. Um the problem, and this is really the only thing that's relevant, is that their offense is currently 45th overall. But their passing offense is 14th overall. They're they're averaging eight yards per completion. So will the defense stop them enough? Now, fortunately, their rushing defense is terrible and their scoring defense is worse. Um, but I am concerned that we're gonna get another prolific scoring day by another mediocre quarterback. And um, well, Correct. do you do you think it's interesting that um, Purdue? We were only favored slightly against Purdue, uh, according to Vegas. Yeah, and uh, and now we're favored by nearly two touchdowns. Yeah, what am I, I do- missing? Like, I, I mean, because we clear, clearly we've done the hard work on this. Um, I, I must be missing something. I mean, I. I might take Maryland here. Um, well, sure, Maryland fine against the spread, but 
the tightness of the spread is, I think, indicative of how your your win probability. I think it's, uh, I mean, Purdue's a better team. And Purdue has shown already this season that it can be top five ranked teams in a way that Maryland has not shown. Maybe that's the whole thing. Sure. Sure. Do you want to, you want to send us the break? Yeah. Uh, let's, uh, let's hear a word about our sponsor. All right. Thank you. Anchor.fm for your continued sponsorship. And, uh, we are pleased to announce that we are now joined by Dave Klein of SpartanHoops.com. Uh, Dave, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing, man? Fellas, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, game day, two days away. I'm I'm jazzed. I'm pumped. <sighs> Honestly, I think I think I need a little Champions Classic as a palate cleanser coming off that Purdue loss. So uh, <laughs> what a time to talk some hoops. And uh, is, it, I think, is it gonna be a palate cleanser? Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> I don't know the answer to that. I, I don't know how to direct fans towards how they should feel if we lose. Hope springs games. eternal. Yeah. yeah, hope springs eternal. Uh, but with that, I think we're gonna get into uh, how little returning production there is. But I, I think we got to start with just as a baseline. Um, uh, folks who have left the team, uh, Josh Langford, uh, you know, after 80 years in green and white has left, um, though I think just went down the road and he's at Broad now, um, and also is signed as a BTN analyst. So yeah, yeah. uh, obviously Tom Kithier, uh, transfers, Foster transfers, Rocket transfers, and Aaron Henry finds himself on a two way, um, contract with the 76ers. I, I guess, uh, is where you know knowing that there's sort of big departures from either what we what were last year's contributors or who we hoped were going to be contributors last year. Um, you know, what's your sense a- around the program of is this kind of a big fresh start for the team? I think so. I think that having some of that continuity and removing maybe even some of the temptation for Tom Izzo to play some of the players, which we knew (laughs) was going to happen had they remained on the roster. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I I think it's, it's everything that was supposed to happen this off season honestly did. I would have liked to maybe add one more wing to the mix perhaps. And there, if you could have said, you know, convince Josh to come back as like a, you know, 10, 15 minute per game guy, but we saw Izzo basically play his legs off last season. So I don't think that that was feasible. And I think if you're looking at the attrition that left the roster, in my mind, truthfully, it was all positive. The only person you could have maybe said, could you have crafted into a better position and maybe he could find his mojo again is Rocket Watts. But it it seemed to me after last season, he probably needed a fresh start. Obviously wishing him well at Mississippi State. I know he had a hip surgery. I think he had like a torn hip or something. So I hope that he comes back healthy and does his thing. He's really the only guy I think could have maybe fit in, but he's going to be an upperclassman. So who's taking, you know, the backseat to that? Does that mean Max Christie's coming off the bench? That that absolutely could not happen. So I think if you're looking general, uh, and we'll get into it when we're speaking just about where this season can head in the positive direction, I think particularly if you're looking at the wings, the attrition and then the addition is probably what I'm most excited about for this team. Well, well let's not get too in front of ourselves because there's there's – as much as I'd love to talk about the team, there have been other changes and we covered these kind of as they happen, but the coaching staff has turned over, but in a very familiar way, uh, Dane Fife out for out to Indiana. Um, you know, 
you know, Mike Garland's still around. Then Mark Montgomery is brought back into the program after uh, things not entirely working out as planned at Northern Illinois. And then Doug Wojcik, who's been behind the bench for, I think, a couple seasons now, is now formally on the staff. Now, um, DK, I, I think this is a very young and exciting uh, coaching staff <laughs> in 2003. Um, what, what do you think? What, what's your take on, on these choices? I would have liked to see the staff shake it up a little bit more and bring in some fresher blood. I think had not the circumstances down the road at Chicago Loyola going a different way, obviously mm-hmm. Porter Moses goes down to Oklahoma and Drew Valentine ends up getting the head coaching job. I did hear that there was some talk when Fife left about trying to bring Valentine back into the program. If that happened, you almost have an heir apparent in there. Cause I, you know, we can get into that if you want to, but I'm not sure I'm crazy about the idea of DJ Stevens taking over this program. Uh, I think that probably we need to see some fresher blood when, when Izzo does end up hanging it up, which is, you know, up in the air, it could be two to five years. It could be 10. I don't know how long he's going to, to want to continue to do this. Um, it seems to me after every offseason, he finds himself getting refreshed. Yeah. I think that this is a very big year where he is going to want to, you know, show some of the doubters wrong. So I look forward to that. I, I don't know the the promotion for Doug Wojcik. He, he promotes guys that he trusts and there's loyalty there. In some regards, you know, I think that the comparison to maybe some of the D'Antonio years, it's not unfair, even though I think obviously Michigan State has a lot longer sustained success. And so you're going to trust the guy that's been at the helm doing it for, you know, two plus decades. Uh, but I would like to see a little fresher blood. I like Mark Montgomery, the, getting him back in the fold, making him an actual assistant coach. I like that McQuaid and Thornton came back. I think that it's important to have guys that are part of the fabric and the DNA DNA of winning teams come back and be part of the program. If you're looking at some of these guys, uh, you know, Max Christie, Jaden Akins, Gabe Brown even, I think that all of them can learn from both those guys who are great shooters. I think this team has a chance to be better at shooting, and so it's nice to have them as part of this core group. Would I like to have seen it get a little bit younger? Absolutely. Yeah. It Does it surprise me the way that it shook out? Not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Just calling out that we will see how Valentine does uh, against this MSU squad in the first game for Atlantis in a couple of weeks. So uh, very exciting there. Plum. It's a good what? point. Well, I want to actually stay on the coaches for just a hot second because Colton Ponzi had an interesting article a couple of weeks back in The Athletic where um, Izzo specifically called out the youth of the squad is and you kind of just named it. Um, the that is that re-energizing factor for him. And I was kind of like, really? This is the youth that you're talking about? You know, so I thought it was maybe to your point, this is what he does every off season is he finds whatever he needs to get re-energized. But I thought it was an interesting call out. So um, I guess we see. Yeah. And I, we didn't address Fife. I guess my thoughts on him is I've always heard he's just kind of a quirky guy. I've never been like a huge fan of him. I know he had part of some of the recruiting, you know, angle on this group. Uh, I don't know. You come here to play for Tom Izzo. I don't think you come here to play for Dane Fife. So I personally yeah. didn't think it was a massive loss. I don't love that he went down to Indiana. And so you're going to have, you know, those matchups I think are going to get even more intense because Dane Fife is obviously intimately aware of what they're right. running, what they want to do. So yeah. those matchups probably get a little tougher, but we don't have to go to the state of Indiana to play an away game this year. We only get Indiana and Purdue both at home. So that makes me feel a little bit better about that, I suppose. Do you think Dane Fife will be on Twitter 
while coaching games at Michigan <laughs> State. Search, literally searching for his name on Twitter. I thought you could have gone with a hotter take and you would have just been like, did he leave because Foster Lawyer and Kithier were were in other <laughs> words asked to leave the program he went with them but no yeah, they, I don't know. all of clarkson michigan all connections have been burned it's clarkston or bust for dane fife uh so yeah plum um let's uh, let's walk through the team but i i think you know you noted the the offensive production uh returning is not great right yeah i don't think that's a bad thing though Mm, say more about that. Okay. Yeah. So if you're looking at last season, right? So two of the guys that ended up taking 30% of the shots for the team were Rocket Watts and Langford. Combined, they took 30 shot, 30% of the shots. 37.7% from the field from Langford, 336 from Watts. On right. Ken Palm's efficiency measurement, they were yeah. the two most inefficient players on the roster last season. They played big minutes. They took terrible shots for the most part. You know, <laughs> yes. I, I really give Long credit to Langford for, for coming back after being injured, for playing like a warrior. That Illinois game where he grabbed 16 <laughs> boards and had 16 points, that kind of was the pinnacle of it, and it all went pretty downhill after that. I just think they asked way too much of him, and he didn't know how not to play him. And maybe Langford was one of those guys that just he, – he was done after the season. He gave everything he possibly had to Michigan State. Like, I think – all around, it was probably the best decision for he and the staff for him just to be finished. And then, like we already spoke about with Watts, um, I think that was a lot of it was mental for him. I think not having an off season and being able to acclimate himself to the point guard spot. If he eventually wanted to play pro, and uh, I had one of my buddies uh, does a Feel the sixty eight podcast unscripted, and they end up having Austin Thornton on, and, they, and he kind of alluded to that where positionally, if Wash wants to play at the next level, he was going to have to play the point guard spot. Yeah. So eventually that was right. going to have to be his role if that's his goal. And right. I think we kind of saw maybe, you know, whether he didn't have enough offseason, whether he wasn't really capable of performing in that role. I just think that probably he would have been best suited next to a more true point guard. This roster actually has two of those on it, and maybe he would have played a little bit better. But then again, you're taking away from Max Christie, Jaden Akins, Gabe Brown. Like I, I, that, that to me didn't make sense. Brown ended up being the most efficient player, not including Thomas Kithier, who doesn't really qualify for the minutes allowable. And I think those all of those stats were kind of fluffed because he only took wide open layups. So, of course, his efficiency was going to be a little higher there. But he ended up finishing as the most efficient player for Michigan State's roster, and he just didn't get enough shots. He wasn't involved in the offense enough. He was spent too much time in the doghouse when you saw guys like, you know, Langford taking awful shots and then getting beat on D. I just think that some of the – some of the loyalty that guys had built up were a detriment to Tom Izzo being able to play the guys that he needed to to end up having a more successful season. Yeah, I want to I want to take that point, and I'm so glad you mentioned loyalty because you know whether it's coaching or it's his players, Izzo gets himself in trouble. And maybe this is maybe this is a good thing. Maybe this is why people love Tom Izzo. Maybe this is why Tom Izzo is an institution, and his name is synonymous with basketball, not just in Michigan but around the world. Um, is because he's eminently likable because he has these sort of values. And, but I think we now have, we have a lot of ceiling space, right? I mean, the ceiling has just gone up dozens of feet in the air in terms of where guys have to climb in terms of competitiveness, in terms of creating space for guys to emerge. So you've called out Aikens, you call out Christie specifically. Um, I think, you know, uh, there's a question at Pierre Brooks, probably maybe not this year, but you know, there's, so there's guys who are, 
prepared to become dudes or are prepared to be dudes right off the bench, you know, but when we look at, so he's specifically named, right? Gabe Brown um, and Malik Hall as captains. And he's talked about how they, they complement one another, right? Gabe's kind of this, I think Pouncey had him as an energizer bunny is what Izzo quoted him as. And Malik Hall's kind of the more, he called him a silent, but deadly assassin or something. I don't remember. (laughs) Weird, truly weird choice of phrase, but so you've got some leadership, but maybe some younger leadership there versus this explosive potential, you know, how, how do you see these guys balancing each other? Um, particularly, maybe that's what we're looking for on Tuesday. I don't think that I was surprised when they were selected. I would go back and I've spoken about this with a couple of different people and we kind of all point to the same, same spot in the year, but we were playing Maryland in the big 10 tournament. I don't know if you guys recall that game, but we got off to like a super hot start. The first 10 Mm -hmm. minutes, we looked like we were going to blow the doors off of him. Like, Oh my God, he's got him ready for March again. You know, here we go. And then the game kind of started shifting. Part of it was because the refs started calling a little different game. I do think that that came into play. But the momentum shift happened. And this team, just when adversity was faced last season, crumbled kind of almost time and time and time again. I think a lot of that had to do with the point guard spot and the lack of a true guy to settle the roster. But generally, I I just think that Malik Hall really shined through in that game. He ended up having 19 points. He was super efficient. Uh, I think he was like maybe eight for 12 from the field or something like that. And towards the latter part of the game, Maryland was basically about to blow us out by 20 plus points. Hall refused to let that happen. There were numerous moments where he rallied the team on the free throw line that he was like consistently leading this team. And I don't know what they ended up losing by. Maybe it was 12 or 13, something like that. But I just thought that that moment was like something that caught my eye. And I'm like, okay, this guy gets it. Like, it's not just about this game. It's about the general mentality. Like, we don't like roll over when you're in this situation. Something doesn't go your way. There wasn't enough of that from that team last year. So it didn't surprise me that he got named it. I think if you're looking at the seniors, you know, Marcus Bingham probably wasn't going to get that captain nod. He's going to go with the senior there. I like Gabe Brown because I think that he has a lot to prove. And I do like that he brings that energy every single night. I think that we saw some some points on you know the court last year where maybe he's not 100% engaged. He has no choice this year. There's nobody he's got to look over his shoulder for, which I think is a huge factor for him mentally. And he's just a guy that I think is going to be really consistent if you're looking up and down the roster. Like I'm going to plug in Brown for giving me 10 to 12 points a night for shooting 40% from deep. He's going to make some athletic plays in transition. He's going to cram on a guy and he's going to hit the open shots that he doesn't have. If you're looking at up and down the roster and saying, what can I consistently get out of each guy? Brown for me is maybe near the top of the list of guys that you're saying, okay, I should know what I get basically every night out of this guy. And I think that we actually see it this season. It's not, you know, a potential, it's actually a realization. So DK, if I can just push on, on that, cause I, I want to chat about some of the other position groups, but Gabe Brown remains the most interesting player to me because he is simultaneously someone you can forget is six, eight, um, you know, will be silent, uh, in games. And then uh, it sometimes forgets that rebounding is part of the game. Yet I say all of those critical things, but it is well documented that dude hustles like nobody's business when it comes to practice, takes his job very seriously, um, leads both by example and, and by all accounts last year also started to come into that verbal role as a leader. Uh, you know, I, I don't think he thought it was his team yet, but so, you know, do, 
is is Gabe Brown deciding that he's not someone who can disappear the linchpin of whether this is a successful team or not? No, that probably comes from the one and five spot, the two most important spots okay. in basketball. But I think that what you're going to see out of him this year is consistency. Um, it, sometimes it's escaped him. I think part of it was a lot of times he gets on the floor and sometimes guys need to get their offense going to get the defense sure. going. I think in spots he's been that, where when he comes into the game last year, he's a guy to me that you're drawing up a play to try to get him an open look because he's one of your most efficient scorers. He's a guy sure. that you're really trustworthy. If he takes that three, he's hitting it 42% of the time last year. He needed more shots. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think that some of it was he didn't quite know what his role was with Langford and Watts. Sure. What is he being asked to provide? I think some of the defensive rebounding is as a result of him leaking out because he is part a big part of the transition. I think probably Max Christie ends up rebounding better than him this year. I just never really see outside of maybe the offensive boards him taking that full, full stride. The wings totally have to rebound for this team this year. But I do think that getting the break started and you have two guys like Christie and Brown who can just race up the floor. One can spot up, one can get to the rim. And you have a really dangerous like transitional group, especially with the point guards that we have now. So I, I just think generally he's going to give you more consistency. Plug him in. I feel comfortable saying that I expect a lot, lot less disappearances. I just think that he is going to give you way more this year. So we, uh, you talked about the one in, in the five, um, unless all of our listenership has been, you know, hacked into BTM plus or pirate radio or whatever. Uh, for the most part, our listenership probably has not been acquainted with Tyson Walker yet. We talked a little bit about his performance in the first exhibition game last week, but what are you expecting from Tyson this year? What does he add to the team? What what should we know about him? Is he Ken Walker in basketball? In basketball <laughs> no, he's not a national player of the year candidate, but I think he's a really, really good ball screen guard, which Michigan State has obviously missed since Cassius Winston. Um, I am of the strong belief that ultimately by the end of the season, Tyson Walker needs to be playing 25 plus minutes per game. It's nothing sure. against A.J. Hogard, who has slimmed down his body. I think his confidence is way better. To me, he's just all around looked like a much, much better player since we've seen him in the, the couple exhibitions. And I went and saw him live in the open practice. I think that ultimately his ceiling is kind of limited because I don't ever expect him to be a prolific shooter. It's really difficult when you have a point of attack guy that can't score. I think if you maybe even just look at like a Xavier Simpson type, Xavier Timpson was a great, great point guard, great assist man. He found ways to kind of get that off-the-hook shot to be able to score in the paint. I think A.J. Hogard needs to develop a little mid-range floater. I think it would do wonders for opening the game. He's so used to getting all the way into the paint. His mm. problem is this isn't high school anymore. You can't just body guys at the rim and finish. You're, you're literally facing seven-footers like half of the conference play. So you need to be able to develop a little in-between shot. He hit a little elbow pull-up in the first exhibition. And my ears went up a little bit when I saw that, because if he can hit that, if you can take a couple dribbles in and just hit a mid-range jumper, the entire floor starts becoming more open because guys can't just sit on him. I think that you're going to see the floor constrict in games, particularly in the half court, because he doesn't really offer that shooting threat. I think he's going to be better with his turnovers. 
He, he was one of the least efficient players on the team last year. I think he actually finished the, the guys in the main rotation, the worst of all the players. He had a really brutal offensive season, but I think that he can be better. I just want to see him more as like a 10 to 12, maybe 10 to 15 minute night guy because Walker is a three level scorer. He's a guy that shot 35% over two seasons. He's a guy I think that was top five in steal percentage last season. Uh, one colonial association, uh, defensive player of the year in his conference. He, he brings just so much to the roster. I think you've seen the benefits of Hauser getting pick and pop actions with him. When you have a point guard that can shoot from the mid range, that can pull up off the dribble from three, that can get all the way to the rim with his quickness, just the whole floor is going to open up. Michigan State's ceiling is really dependent on how quickly the staff just accepts that he is probably the best version for this team. And it doesn't mean that Hogard can't contribute, which he obviously can. I just think it needs to be in a more limited role, whereas Walker eventually needs to step for that forefront for Michigan State to be able to reach what they could be in March. Real quick, uh, and then we'll get into the lightning round. Let's talk about the bigs, um, including Joey Hauser. I, I have a pet theory that not having competent point guard play on the team last year cost no one more than Joey Hauser. Do you agree with that statement? And then also... Tell us what you're expecting from Sissoko and Bingham this season. Yes, I do agree. I think Hauser probably more than anybody. Um, part of it also was that he played long stretches besides Thomas Kithier defensively. Yeah. And so some of the concerns that he had on that side of the ball were emphasized more because he's basically the two of the same type of player, just 6'8", six, 6'9", six, unathletic, short arms. Bricks for feet. It was probably the worst front court and the worst point guard situation that Michigan State has ever had in like mm-hmm. the time that Izzo has has been coaching here. It was it was horrendous. So yes, my first answer is yes to that. I think Hauser is gonna be sneaky good this year. I think that the expectations when he came in were just way overblown by the staff. They were speaking of him like as a Draymond Green type passer, as a you know, some of the best shooters that they've ever seen. I've heard that practices he absolutely lights it up. But I think mentally there was too much pressure. He's more of a third type option for me than I would say like a one or two guy. And they, they asked him to be, you know, one of the two of those. And he didn't really be able to, to give that to him last year. But he shot 60%, I think, uh, from two field goals. He shot obviously 34% from three. He didn't have a bad season. He just didn't have one with the way that the expectations were going. And now I think he's going to come in a little bit under the radar. He's going to be asked to do a little bit less. I I have always joked with some of my friends that there should be a two dribble rule for him. If he can't make a move or get to his spot in two dribbles, you should pick it up. It drives me crazy. Every time he dribbles four or five times, he turns it over. That's just not who he is. I think he's a heady guy. He's a guy that can make make shots. He's a guy that in the pick and pop with a, a true point guard is really going to thrive. But if he just plays within himself, there's no reason he can't be a 10 to 12 point per game score grab five or six boards and drop like three dimes, which is exactly what this roster could use. And so if you're looking again at maybe some of the consistency, I know he didn't a hundred percent give it last year, but I think that he's pretty close behind Gabe Brown for when I'm looking at what he's going to bring to the roster. I feel comfortable chalking him up as at least a 10 point per game guy who's going to probably lead the team in rebounds again this year. And uh, you know, a guy that's going to be able to drop a couple dimes along the way. Um, you said the front court as well. Uh, you know, Bingham is, he's been a conundrum. He's been an enigma for most of his career. 
I have long beat the drum that he needed more playing time. I thought that Michigan State was much better when he finally grabbed some more of the minutes towards the end of the season. Mm. But it's senior year, and these calls for him to be consistent can't keep coming. It can't be an every other game thing or one, three games he plays well. Like, this is it. This is senior year. I don't really want to hear about any excuses about the playing time. I think it was both on the staff and on him over the years. This is it. This is make or break it. Proof's going to be in the pudding. Game one, he goes against David McCormick, who's, you know, would probably be a top five center in the Big Ten if they played in the conference this year. He's going to have a very, very real challenge, and we're going to be able to get a pretty good barometer for what he's capable of bringing from the very get-go this season. Um, I'm a big Matty Sissoko guy. I personally want to see him earn more minutes than Julius Marble. I think that it probably doesn't happen towards the end of the year, if ever, which is unfortunate because to me, Julius Marble is like a traditional power forward that's been forced to play mm-hmm. out of position. He, he doesn't have the length. He doesn't have the requisite strength or the size to be able to guard the center spot. And he's just not a good enough offensive player where you're actually like dumping the ball into him and counting for him for two. I know he hit a couple mid-range jump shots. Uh, I just think generally the center option on this team should be the fifth option all around. What you need out of the position more than anything is defense and rebounding. Bingham and Sissoko are the two that, to me, give that to you. Marble doesn't really give that to you. So I would like to see more minutes for Matty as the year goes on. I actually thought he played the best of the center position at that first exhibition game. And he's a guy that's just physical. He's he's a guy that's physically going to be able to, to kind of take some of the contact to be able to move guys from the lane. I like that you can use all five fouls with him because you guys, you know, they're probably going to play him eight to ten minutes a night if we're lucky for that. So he's not a guy that you got to worry about foul trouble, and I think that he can give you a nice change of pace in conference play against Trevion Williams, against Hunter Dickinson, against some of the tougher guys that you're going to see in conference. Well, uh, that feels was like there's a lot to unpack there. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, dense. Very appreciated. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you you really are doing the heavy lifting and the Lord's work for us on on a hoops preview here. So we appreciate it. Um, as I was getting ready for, for you to come on, I was looking at, you know, stats and box scores and I was like, man, I feel out of shape. Like I need to, I need to be in the numbers a little bit more often. We didn't even have the Ken Palm stuff in our outline. And I'm like, man, football season has really gotten to me. Um, which brings us, I think we wanted to wrap before we talk a little Kansas and maybe the non-con schedule want to kind of do a quick lightning round with you. Um, and uh, of sort of, uh, maybe key storylines, uh, some some things for fans to look out for. And so I'll start it off here. Most intriguing question coming into this season. It's got to be the point guard spot. I mean, after yeah. last season and everything that it went, if if Tyson Walker ends up being the guy that I think he can potentially be, this is a top five conference team. It's, you know, they can land on a four or five seed line. And I think that they can grow as the season continues and be a very dangerous team in March. I really like what the backcourt brings this season. Uh, I'm a, I love Max Christie. I love everything about him. I love Jaden Akins. I think that what they have is a nice complement of guys that give you something a little bit different. They're all kind of compatible together. I think the shooting is going to be much better, as I said. So all around, I think... I think it's the point guard spot. If that comes into play, everything else kind of falls falls into place. Sure. Uh, speaking of which, to that end, really quick, one name. Who takes the biggest step this season? I, 
I mean, how, how can I say the step? What are your expectations for a guy like Max Christie? Like to me, he's probably the linchpin on how good of MSU's offense is this season. I think he's going to need to end up being the leading scorer for this team. So what are your expectations for him coming to the season to be able to then finish? I guess that would be my question. I would retort that. Um, but God I would mode, say, right. Yeah. Uh, all time great, you know, leading scorer in a season. Um, pure shooter, Michigan State history. Um, <laughs> is this a Tom Izzo press conference right now? <laughs> yeah. Um, who takes the biggest leap this year? Oh, it's so tough to say because of the starting points of everybody is a little bit different, especially because the transfers coming in. What do you expect from the freshmen? Um, I feel like if Gabe is consistent, I mean, if he ends up being ten points and and five rebounds. That's fair. That's, that's, that's like, fair. I mean, that's, that's if, if Gabe is like consistent. Like, that's like three, like, what did he score? Seven points last year, I think. So like you're asking a three point jump and then to be more, you know, there for 30 minutes per game. Yeah, I could, yeah. I could see that. I think that's just, it's a tough question for me to answer because it just Dunk depends on, on the, the variance of, what your expectations are for Tyson Walker. Like the guy that's clearly to me going to be much, much, much better than he was last year is AJ Hogard. So I think that's yeah. probably the easy answer because he was so horrendous last year, particularly <laughs> offensively that there's nowhere really else to go, but up. And I think that he already has looked like a guy that's way more comfortable in the system and with his body and all the rest of it. So I'll, I'll go with AJ Hogard on that. Nice. Plum, what do you got? Uh, same. Yeah, I don't know. I I'm, I'm I hate to jinx it. I'm nervous about all of this. <laughs> generally, watching last season made me physically ill. Um, I'm I'm just ecstatic about I think what the team what, what the freshness of this team represents to me. And anything that I can catch of Izzo screaming at Gabe Brown in a um, hallway to a locker room will also bring me great joy. All right, DK, I need to ask you a question that Greg is too afraid to ask. It's the question that plagues him most at night, and it's the thing that he is the most Debbie Downer about of anybody, anybody in Spartan fan fandom. And that is Keon Coleman, Malik Carr, will they ever play a game for Spartan Hoops? No, I'd say no, probably. <laughs> Yeah, I don't really see Perfect. it. It's really tough to play both. I mean, it's possible. I could see maybe them come and join the practices, but actually suit up. Like they're, the bowl game will be when? The bowl game for them will be in December, January. So are they well, really then you get the college football playoff and then the championship yeah, game. There you, go. there you go. Yeah, so I mean, I think coming into the team in January, and then I think that they're going to realize how much – work it is to try to maybe do that i would be surprised if they even join practice but maybe that they will yeah um i had the distinct pleasure of seeing Deion sims entire msu basketball career in one night and uh (laughs) i just think that you have to be mentally deficient if you think that they're ever actually going to play that's that's all that's all i think all right um let's talk kansas shots fired (laughs) (laughs) all right let's do it all right uh so so uh, I think you, you said earlier on, probably not going to be a W. Tell me, tell me why, tell me if there's an upside here, what it is for Michigan state. Okay. So Jalen Wilson is out with an OWI. I think mm-hmm. that actually is nice because mm-hmm. if you're looking at the wings that they have, the three wings, 
Uh, Oche Abaje so is your the pro guy. OWI. Is that what we're going with? Right, you could say DUI, OWI, whatever. But you're you're in favor of them. Am I in favor of them? <laughs> For this particular instance, I'm not against it. Let's just say. All right, fair, fair, fair. All yeah. right. So so uh, Oche Abaje led the team in scoring. He shot, I think, like six or seven threes and shot at a pretty good clip, like 37% last year. He's the guy that's going to be the kind of the knockdown guy. Christian mm-hmm. Brown is a good, not great shooter. And Jalen Wilson was like, of the three guys, was the one who was most capable of like getting downhill off the dribble. The other two don't really have that in their game. Now they're going to play a two-guard lineup, so that's going to change a little bit. And I think that the matchups get very interesting when that occurs. Uh, Dewan Harris is going to be their starting point guard. I don't know it was a possibility he could have started because I've heard already that there is some discord between Martin and self and just trying to get on the same page there. Martin is the guy that's going to be able to take their ceiling to the next level. Uh, He was the Pac-12 second leading scorer last year. The year before, he was the leading scorer at Arizona State. He's a guy that's electric. He can score off the dribble in a variety of different ways. He's a guy that can shoot you in games and, and shoot you out of them. I think that there's going to have to be a balance struck there between what self wants from him and what he is as a scorer and watching that kind of play out during the course of the season is going to be fascinating. It's almost like a little bit like the rocket Watts and Tom Izzo thing. If rocket Mm. Watts had been given buckets, like, you know, consistently like the Duke game and the Michigan game, if that was the guy you saw every other night and you're like, had to live with him a little bit, I think that would have been a different story. That's kind of what Kansas is going to get with Remy Martin. He's a guy that can, absolutely make you a final four and passable national championship contending team. But if he doesn't buy in, I think it could get pretty interesting on the sidelines there. So they're going to run a two guard lineup. Both those guys are smaller. Six uh, one for Harris. He's, he's a little thicker, but he's, he's smaller and at least in height. Remy Martin is slight and he's six feet. So he's a little quicker. I thought naturally Tyson Walker and him would be a perfect matchup, but then that means that Max Christie is going to be having to guard Dewan Harris. Who's the point guard. That's a little different ask. I do like the length idea on him. And then if you're flipping it around, I think Max Christie being guarded by a guy that's five to six inches less than him is interesting to me. Uh, I think that actually Joey Hauser matches up pretty well with Christian Braun. They're kind of the same type. Braun's stronger and uh, maybe a couple inches shorter than him. Um, but I think that in terms of you know their foot speed, it's actually a pretty good matchup for Joey. So I like that aspect of it. And, um, you know, the center spot, like we alluded to, David McCork's a guy that can probably be leaned on to be a primary scoring option or at least a secondary guy for this team. And so is Bingham going to be able to bottle him up if he's a guy that gets going and everything else opens up, particularly the perimeter for them? I think that that is probably concerning. They're old. They return a lot of guys. They, they had one of the worst offenses that Self has ever had at Kansas under this group. So I guess if you're looking at a silver lining, Yes, they bring back four starters. Obviously, Wilson's not going to be starting, but they bring back four starters. But that group that played primarily like 30 to 33 minutes each was one of the worst offenses that he's had. But then again, he upgraded the backcourt, which which makes it a little bit more intriguing. Defensively, they finished 12th overall in Ken Palm last season. I think that this team probably is going to be right around that again this season, potentially a top 10 team. So Michigan State is going to have to work to get shots. I think what we saw during the exhibition game is we got out and transitioned a lot. When you're playing good teams, you're just not going to get those. You're going to get maybe 10, 15 points out of your transition offense. But I think that most of the time when you play a good team like Kansas is, they're going to make you work in the half court. And so I think the the thing that I can get concerned about the most 
is this kind of balance between the point guard spot. If you're going to play Walker and Hogard the similar minutes, the minutes that Hogard's on the floor, it does concern me a little bit about the half-court ability to score. Because if, if Hogard and Hall are on the floor at the same time, you're kind of playing with two non-shooters, and then the center spot's the same. So they have some flexibility in the roster, and, and I really do think that they match up decently well. But Michigan State just traditionally does not play very well this early in the season. Your primary scorer that you're going to ask to lead the team this year is a freshman. It's a big stage. Madison Square yeah. Garden, this kind of moment. I mean, it's it's the reason why Tyson Walker transferred to a school like Michigan State. Right. You know, he got recruited by Bill Self, so maybe he's a guy that steps up and has a really big game. I would love to see it. But I think that the best case outcome from this game is Michigan State hangs at least around for 35-plus minutes, and you get to see kind of Walker and Christie be that one-two option with maybe Hauser chipping in as the third guy. I just want to see competent basketball from both the one and the five position and I want to see that the ceiling, which is potentially shown in flashes out in this game, is out there for this team to be really good in March. That's what I want to see for this game. So win or lose, obviously a much prefer win, especially after Saturday's loss against Purdue. But it's one of these circumstances I'm not going in with the mindset that a win is the only thing that's going to make me feel good. I want to see all these pieces working towards a greater whole for what this team can eventually be. And if we're looking for silver linings, my last little point I'm going to hear, because I know I'm going on for a minute. <laughs> two uh so uh, against bill self uh tom Izzo is four and four and one and one in the tournament so they've split even here we're actually two and one in the champions classic bill self has won three of the last four but out of two of those years where we lost to them michigan state has made a final four after losing the champions classic so if you're going to take a little something out of it this is not the end of you know the world if they lose Two out of the three years, the last time we lost to Kansas, gone to a Final Four. So there it is. There you go. There we go. Final Four bound is all I'm hearing. Uh, <laughs> it's the only thing that matters. Willing uh, to DK, die on Tuesday for the Final Four. Uh, DK, want to give you one more second here. Can you please let the folks know where they can find you, um, what they need to do to subscribe, subscribe to SpartanHoops.com, and, uh, and anything else you want to plug? Yeah, absolutely, man. Again, thanks so much for having me on. No, you thank you. You can find me at SpartanHoops underscore DK on Twitter, SpartanHoops.com. It's $4 a month. You get a two-week free trial, so you can read all the articles. And if you don't like it, just cancel it. It's the price of a cup of coffee. We're running a year special right now up until tip-off on Tuesday, $32 for the year. I think it's a pretty good deal. We're putting a ton of work in. We're having an article drop tomorrow. 3,500 words on the Michigan State Kansas preview. So I got film on there. I got the advanced stat analysis. You guys can all take a peek at that. And I think uh, just get acclimated to kind of what maybe we're going to see on Tuesday night. Yeah, if uh, if you're freeloading uh, off of DK's uh, hoops breakdowns on Twitter, uh, definitely check out SpartanHoops.com. Uh, DK, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, we look forward to checking in uh, you know, later on in basketball season. Absolutely, guys. I'll be glad to come on again at some point and chuck it up, hopefully after a couple big wings here. So, All right. Thank you again to DK. And let's head on over to our Twitter questions as we have fully gone awry on what the structure of the show was supposed to be. Um, improv. That's improv, right? That's mm -hmm. how you do improv? Okay. Yes. And our first uh, Twitter <laughs> questioner 
is uh, Joe Ashworth, who asks, the letdown game is an obscenely well-documented phenomenon in sports and maybe even more so in college sports. Is it wrong that I'm not surprised or crazy upset? Well, Joe, it depends on who you ask on this podcast. <laughs> I He's not, I mean, I wish I had your equanimity. Let me just leave it at that, because oh. I don't. Uh, next up from Joe Ashworth. There seems to be a high correlation between MSU losses and games I have to watch on my phone at weddings. Coincidence? Big coincidence. Joe, turn down all future weddings, even those that aren't on MSU game day Saturdays. I mean, I would like to point out that it's probably my fault that we lost. And it's because of who I invited into my home. Wow. So, So just putting that out there for the podcast. Great. Someone's rolling the dice that uh, certain people are not listening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> really called the shot on that one. Last one from Joe Ashworth. What is the best and what is the worst group dance at a wedding? Plum, what do you got? Uh, the hokey pokey. I don't know. Is I like I like group worst. dances. I love the, oh, the best is the wobble for sure. And so the worst, the worst, I guess, is the hokey pokey. The wobble? Yeah. Oh, if you don't know how to wobble, you're really. I don't. Oh, oh my. Yeah. Oh. Michael. I'm going to have to look this up. You've never wobbled? Oh, Michael. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Cupid Shuffle is the worst. I just. It goes on forever. It's just the hustle. Like, just, just, we don't need. We, why, why do there have to be like 14 different hustles? Um, they're all the same thing and it's dumb. It's dumb. But I'm also, I'm alarmed, Jonesy, that you, you're not familiar with the wobble. We'll have to, I'm sure you know it. I'm sure you know it. You just can't think of it right now. Sure. Um, Yep. Because you're too busy, you know, sipping Glenfiddich at the bar. There it is. Too cool. Putting the vibe out. I don't have the Glens. Uh, next up is Nate C. Are you familiar with the term paper tiger? I think we use that term uh, on the podcast. <laughs> Maybe Nate might have skipped that one. Um, <laughs> but he does wonder, is this actually a good thing as the LSU rumors will likely disappear? Nate, I don't think so. I think everyone's assuming that the the hype around Tucker is whether he goes undefeated or not after going two and five in his sophomore season as an MSU coach. I think the the hype will still be there. Yeah. If I were an LSU booster and then all of a sudden my athletic director was like, eh, we cooled on him after one game. I would be like, you're fired. Like, are you serious? <laughs> you're reacting to exactly one game. That's what we do. Yeah. That's our role. That's not uh, that's that's our role. roles. Could you imagine if Alan Haller was like, fire everyone. Yeah. Secchia money being taken away from Scotty Hazleton after one game. Next up, Maryland has a guy who also throws a football occasionally. <laughs> Matt, <laughs> Baby Tua, is he still their quarterback? Uh, yes. Great. Great. Love that. Love that for us. <laughs> Uh, Nate with his fourth question. It's Veterans Day this week, man. Let him have as many as he wants. Really milking it here, Nate. We appreciate your service of questions to the pod. 
2023 or 2024 before we can expect to be competitive for Big Ten championships. Thoughts, everyone, as we are preparing for a top 15 recruiting class? I mean, I would point out that we're competitive for this one right now. I mean, what is the word? How do we define competitive? You know, that's my question. Is able to win. And we are currently unable to win. But but we're, uh, crazier things could happen. I, I will say, what is the kid's name, the quarterback at Ohio State? He's not actually that good. So, I mean, he was very bad. Uh, Nebraska, they had them on the ropes. Uh, uh, was it Purdue two weeks ago? Was it Purdue two weeks ago that had them very close? Yeah, they, uh, Purdue had the opportunity. Um, and you won't believe it, but uh, Nebraska had the opportunity. But no, I know. Nebraska all over themselves. Well, <laughs> and isn't that just how it goes? But, you know, the point remains, it, they, they are a beatable team. Uh, we aren't going to do it, but someone could. And uh, and so I don't know. I would say, I mean, to your point, I yeah, 23, probably. Maybe 22. Maybe 22. Why not 22? I'm going to go 23. I think we lose too many people next year. Okay. Um, can a guy whose team doesn't play in a New Year's Six Bowl still win the Heisman? No, 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 no is the no. answer to that. No. Blanket, no. no, no, and I can I just say I love Nate. See, Nate, your tweets during the games are filled with such rage. It's not even rage. It's not like raw emotional rage. It's such dismissive fatalism that it makes me seem like I'm overly optimistic and excited about the game, which. I can promise you, as evidenced by my both presence today on the pod and by watching the game with my boyfriend on Saturday, is not true. So you make me look rational, and I just want to thank you for that. Yeah, Alex is over here feeling very vindicated that he was four weeks ahead on hashtag humbled. Yes. Um, <laughs> just a little bit early. Early adapter, guys. Uh, I do like that someone hopped into, I saw someone hopped into Nate's uh, mentions, like trying to talk him into being more rational. And it was his response was, I don't think you understand why I'm here. Yeah, correct. Like, 100p. Yep. Uh, Upper Deck Jerk Guy says, you're telling me that Kalon Gervin wasn't good enough to be playing. Uh, Greg, I think this is for you. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't think yeah. Kalon was run off the team, though, in fairness. But he, he did. Was playing, he was playing this year. You, you did say everyone transferred to group of five schools. And Upper Deck Jerk Guy, thank you for reminding me. Kalen transferred to Wisconsin, not a group of five school. You're right. So... And I'm, I was clarifying. I should clarify. I meant people who left before the season started. Okay. Uh, Cause they wanted Kalen to stay as well. Yeah. Wouldn't like to have had him yeah, um, for sure this year. And he was playing upper deck jerk. This is a weird, this was a weird transfer. This was a yeah. strange transfer. I think, I think he got passed. That's that. Um, next up, uh, object jerk guy asks, what did you think of Gabe Brown's game against GVSU? We should have asked this of DK specifically. <laughs> yeah. We should, have, we should have brought on, we should have had another level of guests. We should have had, uh, a, another guest for our guest to ask this question. Um, I, did anyone, I, I got to watch no. the highlights for GVSU. I didn't get to actually watch the game. I can't bear to listen to those student announcers. Oh, they're just they're just little guys trying to make it out there in the world. Yeah. The highlights were fine. Gabe Gabe in a round. We'll see how Gabe Gabe's this season. 
Is he Babe Grown or, or Gabe Brown? That's what I want to know. Uh, next up, did Plum go as Ted Lasso for Halloween or did he suffer an anxiety attack? Bonus, am I the only one who wanted Ted to get with the doctor? You were not the only one that wanted Ted to get with the doctor. Uh, you might have been. I just assumed it would happen and it was making me, making me deeply uncomfortable. So I'm glad ultimately that he didn't, but I definitely could... You could, everyone could, everyone knew that there was some tension there in the room. I, alas, did not go as Ted Lasso for Halloween. However, if you will look back several weeks on my Twitter timeline, you will see that I did go at least to one party as Moira Rose. So, very good. Uh, next, John Ebebe asks, 536 passing yards allowed. Inexcusable. Scheme change? I'm going to give this one to you, Jonesy. The four-two-five is a scheme that is played by many schools, including championship schools. No. No. Next up, Mike Jones, not me, asks, We knew Naylor was hurt, but Horst, Ronald Williams, Lowry, Coughlin, our backup kicker had a cast on his hand. What the F is happening at practice these days? Is it basically Squid Game 2.0? <laughs> Thank God Ken Manny's not around, though. Am I right? I mean, I think it's a fair question, and I'll tell you why. We credited the composure and resolve we had at Miami with the amazing strength, conditioning, and uh, nutrition program that the staff had put the team on. Everything was looking hunky-dory and great. Um this is an outrageous number of single game injuries uh, in game or leading up to the game that does make you wonder, are there some serious deficiencies to the strength conditioning and nutrition regimen that worked so well for the team in the first part of the season that are clearly not holding up? Uh, uh. I think the, the unfortunate truth of college football is that this level of injuries happens and do you, do you say this college football or football? Uh, well, there's more injuries that happen at higher levels of football. So, um, yes, no one gets hurt in, in the lions, but in real NFL teams, people get hurt. Um, I, I think it's just a problem that the drop off after those guys whose names, you know, is so stark right now that, uh, this is what you see. This is what happens. I mean, um, and, and we've been saying forever, like this has been a repeated talking point, right? That the offensive line had so many injuries for so long that all of those dudes had starting game experience because everyone was injured all the time. And lo and behold, one guy went down. And I think you saw that the whole house of cards fell apart. To that end, uh, Mike Jones has another question for you. Worse, Mike Jones. Uh, opponents are 14 and 25 throwing on third down versus us in the last two weeks, converting on many third and longs. WTF is the point of the 425D if your five defensive backs can't stop anyone. When they go zone, they just get torched too. I think O'Connell just completed another pass. Well, Mike Jones, you at least pointed out that it's not the scheme because whether they play man or zone, it's still happening. So that's an execution problem. And and you can't tell me that it's a Harlan Barnett problem because that's just not possible. Because <laughs> I won't hear it. <laughs> would, 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 you, would anyone hear that Harlan Barnett is a bad secondary coach and believe it? I think it? Florida State fans would be like, we can believe it. 
No, uh, they fired their coach after one and a half seasons. Also, would anyone believe that Mel Tucker is a bad secondary coach? Uh, there's something weird. Yeah, no, that's all I'm going to say. So uh, finally oh, from God. Mike Jones. Hold on, hold on. It's a different thing to say that they're a bad coach versus they're a good coach. I mean, they're certainly not proving themselves to be good secondary coaches right now at all. Whether or not they're bad coaches, you need more runway to make that determination. But good? Uh-uh. Not this group, and not this group at all from the transfer portal. So not really sure what you do with that because you still have to build something out of the program. All right. I would just say uh, at 8-1, and one we are building. At 8-1, so, we are building. So finally, uh, from from the, the real Mike Jones, uh, you guys aren't drinking the Haterade with Plum Alex and I, but K-9 has bailed JJ, the OC, Jay Johnson. Uh, out way too much. He needs to take more heat. K9 turns so many dead plays into positive yards. He hits a closed gap, bounces outside for 20. JJ in the second and eight plus run calls. Name a worse duo. Plum, anything you want to add to this? No, I'll just say K9 has generally this season bailed us out. He was not effective at bailing us out against Purdue. Your statistics on his success notwithstanding. Um, they didn't bail us out. So no, they're a worse duo. Um, I don't know. Is there isn't one? I don't think. Uh, maybe, maybe, um, maybe curdled milk and uh, and a fried egg. That's uh, like a pretty bad duo. I will actually join Mike Jones at least in saying that I think Jay Johnson has gotten a bit uh, a bit of love. Um. You know, something we didn't talk about is they went for it on a fourth down to get a touchdown instead of kicking a field goal uh, late in the game. They were down 10 at the time. Uh, yeah, I'll put that one on the co-catch. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not going to talk about the officiating, uh, but I, I put that one on Mel Tucker. Like if, if we're looking for people that like I, I want to get grumpy at, I would I would agree that I think Jay Johnson has gotten a little overrated by the fact that Ken Walker is so talented. Um, though I don't think you can, you know, with any intellectual consistency, say that you have a running back who'll rip one for 20 and be mad about a second and eight run call when he's averaging 6.4 yards per carry, but you know, okay. Um, but I, I don't think his play calling is particularly creative or, or good. Um, it's, it's fine. It's fine. He's fine, but he's not good. That's my take on JJ. All right. Well, let's mix it up a little bit. So Spartan Spartan 18770 uh, states, this ends with a period, uh, our loss Saturday is the best win Michigan will have this year. Hmm. They they do seem to be reveling in it a little bit, don't they? I'll say. We would probably do the same. Maybe, maybe. Uh, He follows that up by stating uh, the Purdue game is a preview of the Ohio State game. We kind of, we've alluded to that. Um, And any any comments on that? I would like to stay, I would like to stay within 10 of Ohio State and I would feel okay. And finally, like the movie The Purge, can we have one for Michigan fans? Yes. That I'm in favor of. Uh, I, the problem with this is I think Taylor Lewan would just mop up during the purge. I think he, I think, I think Taylor will unify around him. Do you think he has friends? I just think that like in a total dystopian hellscape, 
that personality type and the willingness to probably just like eat someone's throat um, would probably make you the center. Like, I, I think he's a man out of his time and he should be a brutal warlord in um, in like a Mad Max type of I see. scenario where he should just like be because he's a complete total psychopath. So he should just be like rubbing blood on his face all the time and just screaming. And in that environment, people are drawn to that, um, as we've seen. So that would be my concern about the purge uh, for Michigan fans. Uh, Taylor Anderson uh, asks, Plum, why is Purdue always a boogie team for us? Is West Lafayette cursed? No, it's Purdue Pete. He he robs <laughs> he robs children of their souls. He takes uh, futures away from teams. He's deprived Kenneth Walker probably of his best shot at getting a Heisman. So this is what he does. He takes. He takes and he takes. And it's uh, well, I mean, it's it's what they have in West Lafayette. It's uh, the level of depravity, angst, and nothingness that exists there is what generates and creates such loathsome, detestable, uh, horribles as uh, as Purdue Pete. So that's that's really all there is to it, frankly. It's why they dress up. Uh, they do costumes before every football game. It's yeah. because it's just that terror all the time. I yep. feel like the the purge to this, and then now to Dan Dan Hellpepper's uh, question. This is just <laughs> working out well. Dan Hellpepper says, "Last time I was in West Lafayette, I threw up in a drainage ditch. Can anyone relate at all to this?" Greg, well, that I... feels like you you've probably spent the most time in West Lafayette. Uh, a day. A day? Anyone else? Better than a day? I'm under a day. The last time I went through Lafayette, and this is a whole story, um, but I was on a train going from Bloomington to Chicago. It stopped in Lafayette, and a gentleman got on the train and sat next to me, and he had abscessed wounds from being stabbed the previous night, and they reeked. I'll have to tell this story at some point, um, but uh, I have not heard this story. It, it, this all sounds very standard for the greater Lafayette area. So Plum, we really missed out on Saturday. Really I just want out. to thank Zill for having gotten exposed. Thank you, Sam. This, this did us a solid because I swear to God, we wouldn't have come home. I would have done something with that vehicle in a way that would have permanently ended the two of us. And that is the truth. <laughs> Maybe we would have won if you'd been there, and this is all Zill's fault. Well, it either way, either thank you or damn you, Zill. That's right. Oh. I say that every day. Uh, <laughs> next up from Dan Hellpepper, uh, Jonesy, how much daylight savings time sucks? How how much daylight savings time sucks? Can is the first word in that sentence. Can how much daylight savings time sucks be the reason MSU lost? Is it possible? Is, uh... Well, it wasn't in effect yet, so no, but it does suck. So, uh, in agreeance. Um, and we got the good one today. Um, we didn't even yeah, get the yeah. crappy one. <laughs> right. Honestly, this is the but, best of times, and y'all don't like daylight savings. Uh, next from Dan Hellpepper. Kansas's giant floor bird is stupider than Jim Harbaugh, correct? <laughs> Honestly, that that probably, that's fair. <laughs> Stupid floor bird. <laughs> It is like the way that his legs work. The the biology of that is just way off. Yeah. If, if you study it, it's like what the happened biomechanics to that, don't make sense. That dumb floor bird's legs. <laughs> uh, next up, CTNTC. 
Should we still have daylight savings time? No. No. Absolutely Isn't it not. a myth, no. though, that it's from our agrarian roots? Isn't there yeah, that some is a myth. It's, it's, it's war-related. Oh, I didn't know that. But we should... The answer isn't, no, we shouldn't have daylight savings time. The answer is, yes, we should only have daylight savings time. It is standard time that we're in right now that is the most reprehensible, detestable thing that exists. No one needs the sun at 6 o'clock in the morning, but everyone would love to have the sun at 6.30 in the evening. So it just this doesn't make sense. It is silly. Bonkers! I'm just going to take this opportunity to point out that it's actually daylight saving time. Yeah, I, yes. I noticed that, but yeah, I knew Michiganders go. throw an S on everything, so I wasn't going to say anything about it. Well, when yeah. I saw it when I was at Myers, I, you know. I there it is. Uh, well done, you. Uh, uh, next up from CT and TC, Plum, which assistant impressed you the most in their audition to replace Tucker this week? <laughs> okay, no, that's unacceptable. Mostly because it's none of them. It's absolutely none of them. What's <laughs> more likely to bring MSU success? Marble slash Sissoko getting the backup five minutes or Hauser small ball five? Uh, the latter. Yeah. I'm going to say the latter. Gotta be Hauser. I mean, it depends who's at the four. I, he can't be defensively exposed. That's all I'll say. I kind of liked it. La- we <sighs> CT, I'm sorry we missed this question. Um, didn't see it before we talked to DK. I kind of liked the small ball lineup last season. And uh, I think it would be better this season. So we, we'd have a point guard, so it would automatically be right, improved. Right, 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 right. Um, I just, it's tough to, to play it at times. You know, you got to really take the initiative, I suppose. But. Uh, next up from John Hubbard. Uh, at what point did it dawn on you that Purdue was going to win? I felt it early in the third quarter. Uh, the for me it was the simultaneous catch. Mm. That was yep. the end. That was it for me too. That's when I turned it off and left the house. <laughs> Wasn't a simultaneous catch, but when that when that interception took place, that's when I turned it off and and left the house that does sound right it is it, maybe for me it was later in that drive when they were really rolling and before they even scored on that drive and i was like okay yeah it's gonna be tough this one's gonna be a tough one uh second up from john hubbard okay so we got that l out of the way nothing else to happen this season but winning out and getting back in the playoff right jonesy that's right i mean i will say like a hold the L Purdue Purdue played well. Like I want to make sure that we, we at least acknowledge that they played well. Um, but you shouldn't lose to a team that instead of having an interview room has like a little backdrop next to the field. So when, I do when, like when, when you have to watch them run off um, the, you know, like the side and they just like run down a, they just like run into a parking lot at half. Yeah. When it like feels it. like Northwestern has better facilities than you, um, you shouldn't be seriously taken seriously as a football at, program. At one point, like four or five years ago, they had literal stands like the stands yeah. that you find at high school football games. Yeah. They when, when those. Rutgers has a better athletic situation than you for your football team, you, you can't be taken seriously. We're just more bitter. We're just bitter right now. I mean, hey, they they played really great. They played they played their best game. So, uh, next up, my Maple Leaf. There is a psychological phenom phenomenon known as basking in reflected glory when you associate with a winning team. That was last week. 
This week, which one of you has or will spend more time venting about the game, the plays, the loss, with others who empathize with what you are feeling? It seems like it's two of my co-hosts. I was just going to say, I would say it's the two of you, but you did come off as the more well-adjusted one in our recap of the game, which I don't care for. <laughs> but we can all agree Plum is not basking <laughs> in reflected glory. Is he even with us now? Or is I'm, I'm, I'm just stewing, and how dare both of you. Seething. Yeah. Seething, seething. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mamopolif uh, follows this is a up. Plum question. Number two, reflecting on Beru's ejection, uh, there's one targeting call for every four games played this season compared to one every 3.7 games last season. <laughs> Huge difference. Uh, how many years do you think it will take before coaches appreciate these health and safety benefits for players? How long for diehard fans? Uh, that was a good ejection, I think. Uh, it was targeting pretty pretty clearly. Um, so there's that. just want to acknowledge that first. Um, don't know about the ratio. I believe right after she posted that, I think uh, Sawyer Like Tom had a tweet uh, asking if that was a statistically significant figure. That is a good question. Fewer games last season, so not really sure how to compare them. But I will say it will take time. I think Tucker has still been open to figuring out what is coaching, what is um, procedure or approach to making cleaner hits. Um, but on the whole, you hate to see it when a player gets ejected, but there's a reason. And in that specific instance, the quarterback is kind of down on his knees. He's in an awkward position. Any hit there is exposing him uh, to some level of danger. I mean, he's in a lower position, so it's going to automatically be much more difficult to hit him fairly. But any fit, any hit, he's going to be collapsing backward on already, you know, prone knees. So, you know, this is, I guess, the game. But, um, yeah, those aren't going to change anytime soon. Yeah, I don't know what the uh, standard deviation is for this, uh, um, uh, for the numbers here. But, um, and third, from Mamopolif, uh, yesterday, Maryland Terrapins coach Loxley said, Quote, I surely would like to see us play smarter and not beat ourselves. And Tucker said, quote, we didn't make enough plays. We didn't execute well enough to win the game. Which one of these problems will be easier to overcome this coming Saturday? I mean, the Tucker thing is yeah. clear. I mean, yeah, it's got to be that. Yeah. Um, I think we're 8-1. Okay. Okay. But even I, if this is a, if these are two genuine appraisals, like true appraisals of two teams, I would take the second one every time. I don't like teams that are dumb and beat themselves. <laughs> That's a big pass. Yeah. Yeah, it is an interesting phrasing. Kind of both saying the same thing, but one is like. But one's like, if you fired me, I'd get it. <laughs> yes, we played dumb. And our guys actively thwarted their own success. One's really glad that Nebraska and Scott Frost is in the league to take all the heat. <laughs> yeah. uh, next up and last up, Mr. Neurotic Pants. No ball busting intended, but can we get JD underscore Jerbear or someone on the pod for a hockey update? Greg, mm. I'll leave this to you. You do the editing. 
yeah, I mean, we should reach out to JD underscore score chair bear because um, someone might be interested in hockey. Um, I think just, it's Raymond James. They just uh, dropped a couple big games, a couple uh, big games, mm, uh, lost the weekend to Michigan. So that's a bummer. Um, but they beat Ohio State in Columbus, you know, last week. So, so are we good? Who knows? Probably not. Um, and then also continuing the no ball busting, um, will you get me on the podcast for two minutes so I can inspire your listeners? Ooh. Is this a multi-level marketing situation we get? Ah, it with? better be. It had better be something good too. We should just start accepting calls. That that's really the thing. Um just get a voicemail line. And uh this week, the moment we've all been waiting for, uh, is it when his agent negotiates his visit to South Korea? Oh, no. The Koreans are concerned his fans will overwhelm the airport. Later, a petty Izzo tries to preemptively cancel MSU basketball games with Purdue. Quote, they really shouldn't be in the base. <laughs> so good. So uh, good. We have the, the Izzo K-pop angle I will never tire of because it it just seems so fish out of water. Can you imagine Tom Izzo? In K-pop, I can. Um, and then finally, for Mr. Neurotic Pants, uh, I had the thought that even in a letdown game after U of M, uh, Kenneth Walker, Thorne, Kimbro, and that one safety still look good. Isn't it a good sign that even on a bad day, MSU showed flashes of something good? Plum, can you answer that for our guy, Mr. Neurotic I, Pants? I'd like to be chance? able to. I, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's it, I, what, what was good? I don't know. Something was good, I guess. Kimbro, yeah, I like Kimbro. Thorn, nothing good there. Um, flashes, I don't know. I mean, yeah, Jones keeps saying eight and one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's right. That the flash for me is that we're eight and one. Um, there flashes of something good in that game against Purdue. I don't want a flash of something good. You, you are good, and we've been good all season. We've been executing all season. And and we weren't executing. We weren't even executing on easy stuff. So flashes don't do anything for me. I'm just petulant. I'm sorry, but I, I mean, we're going to need a lot more out of Kimbra because there are rumors that Charles Brantley might be out for the season. Um, oh, so, got um, um, Also, I, I want. I, can I just say because I think I was unfairly uh, direct towards Plum that I think it's okay to be really frustrated and upset. This team was doing something fun and exciting. And I think coming into the game, I was a little bit nervous. And it's okay for anyone who's upset. I'm not trying to police being grumpy. Um, I'm just not, like, let's not all hop on the message board and call for the firing of all the coaches quite yet. That's all yeah, I'm saying. That's fair. Too late. Uh, next up from Verbose Dutch, what's your win confidence level versus Maryland on a scale from 1 to 10? Fun fact, Maryland is averaging more passing yards, 316, than Purdue was, 307, prior to the game versus MSU. Um, guys, both of you confidence level versus, uh, Maryland one to 10. I don't know. I like, I don't know. I, I don't know. Purdue had a, it was averaging for all of those yards. Couldn't, couldn't put it in the red zone or couldn't put it in the end zone. And that was our thing. And we didn't do that. So I don't know. Like I, I have no confidence. I have no confidence now. We actually broke Jonesy over the course of the podcast. I know it's the thing is because Greg, you'll re recall 
that that before the game, I said I was I, I was very uncomfortable, and that this was beginning to be less fun because all of a sudden everything needed to mean everything, and uh, I just like. The, but the margins have always been so slim for this team, so I I don't know. Now we have all these injuries. Like I didn't know Horst was hurt. That certainly would have shaped my opinion about the Purdue game. Yeah. I, I so I who's hurt right now? Did did Matt Coughlin fix his leg from like when he proposed? I like I'm confused. I don't know. If we've got a freshman I've never heard of who I think is a walk-on kicking still, then I have concerns. That's all. All right. Yeah. Uh and finally, Garf uh, asks, have you ever stormed the field or court before? Or have you ever intended a game where the other team stormed the court? We have a feel good. We have to feel good that MSU is at the point where they are storm worthy by an opposing fan base, right? Uh, that did stand out to me. And I have been at a game, uh, where the other team stormed the court. What about you guys? I thought it was actually sad that they stormed the field. Well, let, eh, let them have fun. No, but they... But like you guys do this apparently all the time. So first of all, you've been there before. Act like it. No, not, not two to five. They're two and five. I mean, they're bad. So now they're three and five. So they're not good. And I think it feels nice to win. I don't know. Are they I, five and no? They're they're not. They're five and three. Yeah, five no, they're not. not. Yeah, they're Thanks. they're tied for first in the West. No, no. they're not. No, they're yes, not. they are. <laughs> no, they're not. I don't. You not. You're gonna make me look it up, and then you're gonna look silly. So the one, the one for me is uh, I was at a Michigan football game against MSU and Michigan fans stormed the field. Uh, it was the, wow. the Denard arm punt to Five win the game. Three, three and two in the game. And uh, it, no. U of M fans will tell you oh. that they stormed the court because it was like their program 600th win or whatever dumb stuff it was. And I would point out to those fans – I'm sure you would have stormed the field if that whatever benchmark win would have been against Eastern. I'm sure. I'm sure, you know. So yeah, I watched the U of M student section storm their own field beating MSU. In fairness to them, it is it was one of only four times in the last 15 years that they managed to do it. So I get it. They were excited. But um, yeah, what about you guys? Uh, Plum? No. What's what's Purdue's record? No, he was right. Well, partially right. So they're overall I you three, four and two in the Big Ten. And that includes the win. Yeah. So against us. Still. Um any wow. other court have you either of you stormed a court before? No. No. Uh and MSU makes it very hard to storm a field because the uh the drop off from the, the yep. stands to the yeah. I don't think our basketball team's done it since it beat number one Wisconsin, which is a game I unfortunately was not at. Yeah. Uh, next up from Anthony Garbert, we knew that the Mel Tucker rebuild would take some time and he's obviously ahead of schedule. How many years did you think it would take Mel to get to 10 wins before the season started? Uh, four. Yeah, that sounds right. Maybe three, but probably four. Yeah. Yeah. It's four for me. Uh, last up prop bet of the week, the combined passing yards of Maryland, Ohio state and Penn state against MSU versus 
the prediction for K9's uh, current scrimmage yardage total. So an over under of 1,396. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> over. Yeah, I'm, both. I'm taking and, the over. Yeah, and it makes me just feel bad. Yeah, sure. Well, I'll go with the overs as well. Until uh, until I see this defensive secondary stop someone, it's going to be hard to uh, to bet on them. So and Garvert takes us out on a downer. Thanks, Garvert. Uh, <laughs> we blame you for all the vibes in the pod. Uh, we want to say thank you again to DK for joining the podcast. Uh, and gentlemen, it was an unfortunate L to hold, but we've got next week. Until then, go green, go white, go white, guys. <laughs>